0: First Church Charlotte Praise the Lord everyone God bless you as you return to your seat it's so good to see you all in the house of the Lord today great to have uh, Nathan Melix and his wife and his boys here in the service we love them they're doing a great work down in Myrtle Beach and uh you know people when they they lose their consecration they always go to the beach have you seen that it's like me and my hawaii movement you know i want to start a hawaii ministry no i'm just kidding they're doing a great work down there take it from me there is lots of people in myrtle beach who need lots of jesus (laughs) and so um, but if you get a chance make sure to give them a hug and uh, we're honored to have Uh, Nathan and also his sister Nicole as a part of our extended ministry team here at First Church and if you get a chance uh, let them know that when they're here let them feel our affection we want to practice thanksgiving as a spiritual discipline just like we would prayer, just like we would fasting, we practice thanksgiving can I have a great big amen Amen Uh, so those of you visiting with us, thank you for uh, visiting with us. We, we love to get to know people. We, we throw our hearts at people. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes we get on people's nerves because we throw our hearts at people. But we want God's blessing for you. Uh, we want God's goodness uh, upon you. And it's not enough for you to to kind of be saved. Now, that's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. But Christ came that you might have life and life more abundantly. And as a ministerial team here at First Church, we are obsessed with your experiencing, overcoming life in Jesus Christ. It's not enough for you to get a religious shot in the arm on Sunday. We want everything you touch to be blessed. We want you to have victory in your faith, victory in your walk. We want to see you flourish. Can I have a big amen? That's one of the reasons why we try to do life with you. We've extended that introductory set of small groups that we do. We call the first three first steps, and the next seven we call next steps. And it's like 10 commandments. <laughs> not, not exactly, but um, it's really an introduction to our church ministerial staff, our operating culture, and hopefully our heart of worship and our desire to see you succeed. Um, in next steps, we begin to give you Some foundations, um, some of the uh, really necessary biblical understandings for you to walk in victory. And today, uh, Next Steps is taught by the Simmons. Wave your hand over here to Tim Simmons and his wife beside him. Uh, they're going to be teaching that, and also the lesson one of First Steps. If you haven't gone through First Steps yet, excuse me, lesson two of First Steps. Lesson one was last week. Uh, the inimitable uh, Tiffany Woods will be teaching uh, lesson two of First Steps uh, today. And so, this really, uh, guys, this is the, our church just doing everything we can to kind of throw our heart at you. We want it, it, look, Church cannot be event based. Yes. If it's event-based, then it's It's kind of like staggering from one blessing to another. Uh, it, it has to be an introduction to the family of God. It has to be an invitation to a different way of living. And so this is us doing that. Um, we are uh, talking about uh, starting this Wednesday night. I, I'm going to be teaching uh, this fall. I'm going to be teaching every Wednesday night online. Um, on our The links are on our church website. Uh, I'm going to be teaching Celebrate uh, Freedom. And the goal of Celebrate Freedom, we already have Celebrate Recovery. What is Celebrate Recovery? If you, if anything, in your life has bondage over you, if you are in bondage to anything, Celebrate Recovery is a spiritual way of thinking about having freedom from the bonds that uh, the world, the the sin, the flesh, the enemy puts on us, how we break free from those active bonds in our life. Celebrate is about emotional uh, and spiritual healing. Uh, these are all necessary steps uh, for you to have life and life more abundantly. If you notice that we've started a bunch of stuff, that's exactly what this is. We have an, introduced a whole new path, not just for people to be attracted to church, not just people to be connected to church, but people to actually live overcoming life, spiritual transformation. Can I have a big amen? Amen. Spiritual transformation is what the church is about. So, if you have anything in your life you're finding with active bondage of something in your life, Uh, Pastor Lisa hosts Monday night celebrate freedom in person here at the church. I'm starting celebrate freedom. She's celebrate recovery, celebrate freedom. Uh, The difference of freedom is spiritual and emotional healing. Um, There is going to be two other modules. These are not like classes. are here, let's join hands and walk together. Every one of these four portfolios are necessary for us to have overcoming life. Add to recovery, freedom, add to freedom, family, and add to family flourishing. It will not matter how much you enjoy my preaching on Sunday if your family's a mess. You need victory in your family as a husband, a father, a sibling. Can I have a big Amen. You need to discover your purpose, your calling, your gifts, your abilities, both in your secular secular career and in your spiritual call. Church will never be meaningful if all you're doing is reassuring yourself that you're saved. You are gifted. God would like to invest in you. He would like you to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Pastor Don is focusing on celebrate flourishing. And uh, so these are all, this is not um, just a class. These four portfolios of ministry are us admitting these are the most common arenas where our faith is damaged. And even if we got a blessing on Sunday, we leave victory and step back into defeat. We want overcoming lives. We want lives of testimony. We want lives of spiritual purpose and authority. And let it happen here. real spiritual transformation. Let it start here among us. And can some church folks say yes? Yes! I like it. All right, I've been yelling at you and I haven't even read my text. Starting a series today. This is on the life of Joseph. Um, I'm entitling the series, A Code of Many Colors. Uh, this is part one of A code of Many Colors. We are reading at Genesis chapter number 37, reading at verse number three, now Israel. Israel is referring to Jacob. Uh, there was Abraham, Isaac, and the third generation of covenant promise. Somebody say covenant promise the third generation of covenant promise was Jacob, whose name was changed to? Israel. Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Already, we have problems in this family. Whenever even the children can see that love is selective and unjust, that some are loved more and some are loved less, it creates a toxic brew of competition an unhealthy development. Aren't you glad, however, that God will own that? That God is not so, um, uh, in 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 some way, willing only to work with perfect people. I'm so glad we see the flaws of the patriarchs because that gives me hope. Yes. Uh, because he was the son of his old age, uh, this is another way of saying: If I would have known grandkids were this much fun, I would have had them first. Um, Joseph was more; he loved him more than all his children because he was the son of his own age, his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. This would have been very expensive, excuse me, expensive because of the technological limits of the time. Uh, you can Google how they died clothes back then, and you will understand very quickly that to have a multicolored anything is a lot of labor of individually dyeing or stitching together. It would have made the coat perhaps the most expensive garment in all of the family. When uh, Joseph's brethren saw that their father father loved Joseph more than all his brethren, um, they, you know, people are going to people. They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he made matters worse. He went and told his brother in the dream, "Your brother are not going to be happy about the dream. They don't understand." The Bible says they hated him even more. Verse nineteen. In their hatred, they decide to harm. Um, we we need to pray through of the toxic emotion in us because it's taking us somewhere. Yeah, it's not free. Amen. And they said one to another, verse 19, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams then. We'll see what will become of his dreams. You know what's interesting is they will see what will become of his dreams. They meant it as a curse, but God spun it into a prophecy we've got to learn how to trust God with the good and the bad. Verse 23, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him, cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Um, Before we talk any more about Joseph, before we talk any more about Joseph, I want us to ask a very important spiritual question that has direct impact on who we are in this generation, how God uses us in this moment, and what does it mean to bear the name of the Lord. You see, God is looking for a people who he can use to bless the world. When he spoke to Father Abraham, it wasn't just a selective promise of, I will do for you, and that's the end of the story. There was a purpose to it. The Lord said to him, through you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. God always has a desire to bless more than perhaps we can perceive. You might think your best work is done, but God's still wanting to use you to bless somebody. You may not walk as fast as you once walk. You may not run at all anymore, but God's still looking to use you to bless somebody. And so here we have to answer this question. It matters. What does it mean to bear the name of God? There is a uh, word used in the Bible uh, that is very helpful in this respect, and it is that word ambassador when someone is given a title a place a role of authority you represent me to a people a place a context a tribe you represent me to a people a place a context a tribe you become my ambassador what does this mean for to represent god if you will believe with me that you are not an accident, I know that's a statement of faith for all of us. You are not random. God blessed you intentionally. God made you intentionally. God gifted you uniquely. And God placed you together in a body of spiritual purpose and taught you that you could not find your purpose alone. Your gifts were for the edification of the body. You want to end your gifts? Leave the church. Because the gifts were never for you. And if you have reinterpreted them to be For you, then you not only are misunderstanding the teaching of the scripture, try starting in Ephesians chapter number four, but you have made selfish a ministry that was intended to be for the world. You have made the house of God about the table of the Lord and not about the fields of the Lord. Y'all gonna preach with me here today? I know I'm taking a minute to get wound up, and maybe you ought to take a praise break with me real quick. Lift your voice in this house. Put your hands together if you want to. Oh, God, we glorify you. We magnify you today. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and we bless you in the sanctuary. What does it mean to represent God. Let's talk now about Joseph. Joseph uh, did nothing wrong that was not a common mistake that a young person might make. Uh, Young people feel like uh, as they come of age, and I have been them, I kind of wish I still was them, um, uh, you feel like you're the center of the world. uh, But in truth, you're the center of your world. Uh, You feel like you're the center of the universe, but in truth, you're just the center of your universe. And that feeling of coming to your own, getting your own autonomy, your own authority, your own sovereignty, uh, it sets you up for a certain kind of set of mistakes. Um, And it's okay because everyone who has ever lived has been in some way prepped to make that set of mistakes. Hopefully, uh, you will make those mistakes without them boomeranging into larger mistakes. Hopefully, those youthful mistakes will not uh, have you crossing paths with the law, because that'll change the arc of your future life. Uh, hopefully, those youthful mistakes will not in some way redound to a bad record or a really psychologically or heart-damaging set of circumstances. Um, if that does happen, I want you to know it is not the end for you. It's just going to be a heavier burden to bear. God will be with you. Your brothers and sisters will support you. It will not be the end. But it's much better if our mistakes cost us little, at least in the sense of the pain of living and the uncertainty of our own becoming. Joseph really did nothing particularly wrong. It was not his fault his father loved him. It was not his fault he was the child of his father's old age. It was not his fault that his father doted on him. Uh, He was in a somewhat dysfunctional context. It was not even his fault that his older brethren hated him for it. It was not even his fault he had a dream. Uh, The closest thing to a mistake he made was not being self-aware enough to understand that his brethren would not be excited about his success. Now, this is a mistake any of us can make. I make uh, mistakes of not being self-aware enough all the time. I misread people's personalities. I make mistakes just like you. I, I you, you understand, this is not an, an evil on his part. This is a contextualized mistake of youth. His brothers received it with hatred. His brothers schemed to destroy him. It was not his fault. Here's the shocking thing. I don't know if you're ready for this. Um, If you let yourself think about it, it gets a heavier and heavier weight to carry. But here it is. God knew what they were doing. God saw them do it. And God let it happen. Um, there is going to be difficult in all our life. We defy that difficulty by deciding who we're going to be. Amen. We defy the, the context of pain in our life by deciding who we are going to be. You're going to see that more in the life of Joseph next week when we uh, talk about the second, uh, law, the second cloak in his life that he will lose. Um, But he is living through this tragedy. I want to speak to myself and all of you. Difficulty not only will come, but it must come. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall, somebody say shall. That's a declarative. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But cheer up about it already. Jesus. Jesus has won. Get your thumb out of your mouth. Jesus has won. Toughen up a little bit already. Jesus has won. Even if the world can harm you here, you are an eternal being and you're going to live together with him forever. Some of this pain and tragedy and sorrow and tribulation is just life uh, matthew 545 that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust difficulty is part of the way you're not doing life wrong when it 's hard Lord help me to get this in my spirit I need it more than they do so let it let it start right here we 're not letting we're not doing life wrong when it's hard. We're just doing life. Man that is born of woman is a few days and... See, I'm discouraging you already today. But I have good news. The Lord will be with you in the valley. He is the God of the mountaintops and of the valleys. He is with you in your sorrow. He wants you to have a testimony of overcoming life by choosing to claim his promise in spite of the difficulty. I feel like having a a little bit of a confession here for a moment. Uh, Do you ever just get tired of how hard it is? You just get sick of it. You just want it to be easy for a little while. Um, I'm not unsympathetic, but this is what I want you to know. Not all the trouble in our life is sent by God. We're a pretty good cause of our own trouble. I'll say amen in case that was a little bit too close to the truth for you. We will have problems. We will have setbacks. Hell would like to see you give up. Hell would like to see you get a narrative whereby the church is bad and you're too good for the church. Thereby you decide to give up on the church because somebody in the church did this or that or misunderstood and blah, blah, blah. You've got your little story. All you've done is built your own tree house in the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you say, I will not submit to God's plan for my life. I'll tell God what I'm going to do. Okay. Enjoy your tree house. Oh, oh. But that's not where spiritual life is. Spiritual life is about surrender. Spiritual life is about not my way, your way. Spiritual life is about, God, you said I needed some crazy people in my life so I would be able to demonstrate that my heart has changed and my intention is pure. I need people who make my gifts perfect. I am not gifted alone. I need to be threaded together, knitted together with the, oh man, I'm, I'm <laughs> I guess I might as well keep on going here. Hell would like to destroy you, 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Don't be forgetting the walketh about over here people quoting scripture on me. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Hell would like to devour you. The writer continues, but the pro well, well you get the idea. If hell is after you, if the devil's after you, there will be set back in trouble. Who are you gonna be when everything you thought of as a blessing starts to feel like a curse? Oh, I'm preaching to real people. I don't know if y'all is gonna admit it here today. Psalms 55 and 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have bore it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I could have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. When pain comes from the house of friends, it is a different kind of pain. And when you see Joseph stripped of his status, pleading as a young man. I've been a younger brother pleading with an older brother not to do this, not to do that. If you've ever been in that supplicative position of please don't, please don't, please, I'm sorry, it was just a dream. I don't deserve this, guys. And they're knocking him down. And they're... First, they're going to kill him. How do you treat someone you're going to kill? That's the kind of beating he got that day. Finally, the eldest brother's like, "No, no, no! Let's don't do this. Let's sell them to an Ish the Ishmaelite traders." I'm gonna get the, I got it right in the 9 a.m. But uh, if I keep saying it wrong, someone to give an interpretation here in just a moment. Um, <laughs> I want you to see the offense comes from close. It is a real brokenness, my own friend. Jesus said, Luke 17 and one, it is impossible, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Woe unto him through whom they come. Don't be the offender. Don't be the one who make it makes it harder for other people to serve the Lord. Don't be the brother beating your brother down, hating him for his gifts, hating him for his title. I've never got an opportunity like he got. Join the club. Quit sucking your thumb. Yeah. Get the killer, the killer spirit off of you. Yeah. Um, there's a, a quote that that I think speaks um, to this issue of us being shaped by by anger, shaped by rage. Um, when we have this this bitterness in us, we are shaped by the violence in our mind and heart. The anger, the rage, it shapes us. That is contrary to the will of God. We are supposed to be shaped by mercy, grace, and love. He has invited us to be his sons and daughters. He has invited us to count the blessing we have received that we might bless others. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. The one author said, bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. God save us from bitterness. Um, Here is the question I I started with. What does it mean to represent God? Imagine Joseph beat up by his brethren in such a way that they were already planning to kill kill him, so there was no need to... Hit him softly. There was no need to be gentle with him. They were going to kill him. And they have beaten him and beaten him. And finally, one of them talks them out of killing him. And so instead of killing him, they throw him into a pit. It's not uh, the uh, Amalekites doing this. It might have been easier to bear if it had been Amalekites. It's not the Moabites doing this, but it's the people who played with him before they decided to hate him. It was the people who thought he was a cute kid. It was the people who taught him how to throw the ball, so to speak. It was the people who had learned to hate because he had something they wanted. And they sharpened their knives in their little closets of hatred, becoming more and more pity, uh, self-pitying, developing their little narrative until it starts to seem like a bit of a good idea to do to him what he cannot imagine. And so here he is in the pit. Pleading didn't work. He's beaten up badly. He's bloody. He's naked. And he's waiting to see what will come next to him. And I would like you to imagine him. In a pit, beaten, his brothers, doing everything from spitting on him to kicking him, everything hatred would entail. I want you to imagine this. Here he is, flat on his back, looking up at this small hole of light above him. And he's thinking, "How? how, what, how what just happened? What just happened? I did not see this coming. Nothing in my life has prepared me for this. I didn't even know they hated me. Here we find Joseph in the bottom of a pit and we go back to ask ourselves this question, what does it mean to represent God? Um, A day will come According to God's plan, stay with me, a day will come when all the power of empire will be in Joseph's hand. A day will come when the superpower on the geopolitical stage will invest all its authority, all its power, its thousands of brass plated chariots. It's hundreds of thousands of war-trained horses. It's hundreds of thousands of lance-bearing soldiers. It's all its wealth, all its power will rest in Joseph's hand. But there's this reality, young Joseph. Egypt needs to be a place of safety for my people. It needs to be a place of hope for my people. I can't send my people to Egypt just to kill them there. We can kill them here. We can let them starve here. We don't need to send them there. I want to take 70 people, Joseph, and I want to turn them into a great nation. They need a safe place. They need a place that's going to feed them and not harm them. They need an ambassador in Egypt. And if it's in your heart to take vengeance, I need to know now. Because if you're the kind of guy who will kill them when you have a chance, not you're not my man in Egypt. Now let me take you to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says this, chapter three, verse number two. Assuming you have heard, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Joseph, I know you feel like you're dying. I know you're broken. But I need to see how you carry my grace. Because the day is going to come when these very men who beat you up, stripped you naked, humiliated you, and sold you into slavery, they're going to sit in your hand as helpless as a baby bird. And if it's in your heart to crush them, then Egypt will not be a place for me to build a nation. What's in your heart, Joseph? What's in your heart? What are you going to do when they smite you on one cheek? And so the day comes when Joseph, bearing all the glory of empire, receives his brethren. He recognizes them. They do not recognize him. Their last memory of him is a beaten, skinny, scared, bloody boy in the bottom of a pit. And now they see the prime minister to empire standing before them. He can crush them with a nod of his head. And there would have been a certain satisfaction to it because the closer the relationship, the more they know how to hurt you. There's a thin line Between love and hate. Proverbs 18 and 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Their contentions are like the bars of a castle. But those bars limit our ability to connect in a future of spiritual becoming because whatever they did to you today, that's not who you're going to be tomorrow. And you need to open your heart to the administration of the grace of God. The author of the book of Hebrews says it like this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. What do you mean fail of the grace of God? I'll tell you exactly what he means. God gave you grace to administer for someone else. God gave you mercy to place in someone else's hands. God gave you grace to administer on his behalf. And if you won't do it, you fail of the grace of God. And what does the author of the book of Hebrews says? A root of bitterness springs up within you and therefore many are defiled. It's not just you anymore. It's the harm that comes to many when we can receive but we cannot give. The first coat that he wears is the status of place and blessing. It shows God's favor upon him. But it matters who we are when we lose our status. It matters who we are when we lose our title. And if you can show God that you will not use his gifts... To destroy, if you can show God that you will not use His blessings to harm, if you can show God that you see purpose and purpose matters more than uh, bitterness, more than personal agendas, more than I like him, I don't like her. If you can see the grace of God working even in your pain, it might just be that you're the person God is looking for. Come on, somebody. If you can endure offense, you might be the person that God is looking for. I'm going to try over here. If you can say, I forgive you, you might be the person that God is looking for. And so with empire behind him, And armed soldiers around him and royal robes upon him. He addresses his brethren who last saw him as a skinny, helpless, bloody boy in a pit. And he says to them, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day To save much people. To do what? To save much. Come on, I need y'all to help me. To do what? To save much people alive. As long as your bitterness is bigger than you. Come Come on. You never can administrate the grace of God as long as your pain is bigger than you. You know that old saying we say that goes like this, um, the moment was bigger than they were? (laughs) Um, In in homilatist class, they they teach young preachers. I know because I've both learned and nowadays I'm actually starting to teach a little bit um, uh, how to communicate. And one of the things you have to learn to do in public speaking is you have to learn how to let people know the moment is not bigger than you are. Because if you don't know how to do that, it makes the whole audience nervous. All they want is someone else to get the microphone. So when you're a young preacher, you just fake it. You act like, yeah, I belong up here, praise God. I'm, 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 I'm a preacher from way back. And you get your can meeting voice, and uh, you fool three people. But that's where you start. Yeah. The moment cannot be bigger than you, Joseph. If you put your painful memories above God's perfect potential, then Egypt will not be a place of saving much people alive. Egypt will not be a place of 70 people becoming a nation of millions. It will be a place of death. It will be a place where brother kills brother. The only cure for offense is forgiveness. And when we forgive, we unleash the power of God to bring good out of a bad situation. Paul said, Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Joseph's first coat is his ability to show God Even when it hurts, I'm more interested in your purpose your kingdom, your mission Then I am in exercising my bitterness as revenge against anybody. You see a heart that God can use. So let me lead you all right now. Stand with me all across the house as our musicians come. Let me lead you all in a prayer of both repentance and acceptance. Will you follow me along? You don't have to say my exact words, but I would like you to follow the spirit of what I am saying all across this house right now. Lord Jesus, we are all of us survivors. We are all of us the people who have made it through the tears. Uh, those tears can be a limit to us, a, a glass ceiling above our spiritual potential. We can build a shrine to our own pain. We can build temples to our own bitterness. Uh, lots of religious people have built temples to their bitterness, and all you have to do is talk to them for a few moments, and they will tell you about who, the, how this person did them wrong and how the other person did them wrong. And Lord, you know how there is a healing season but then once the the, the initial healing is complete, we need spiritual healing. We need a healing that is beyond emotion. We need a healing that is beyond survival. What we need is the faith that says, God, you will use everything I've gone through to demonstrate your grace and mercy to many people. I want my life to be an administration of your grace, oh God. I pray this prayer for myself first, but I, I hopefully, pray it for everyone here in this house. We want our life to be an administration of your goodness, an administration of your grace. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what we face, no matter what we have gone through, you are our healer. So I want to take a moment right now and I want to say thank you for healing us I want to say thank you for healing us, oh God. Healing is what you can do. If we could fix it, we wouldn't be so jacked up all the time. You're the one who brings healing. We confess as a group of people, as a corporate body, we confess your healing is what we desire. You know the pain. You know what happened to us in a a certain season of our life. You know when we overheard what was said about us. You know the boardroom I was in and I heard them talking about me and they didn't know I was listening. You know the battle I fought with it, oh God. You know the, the, the prayers I had to pray and you know the bitterness that rose up in me. God, that cannot be the glass ceiling above my ministry. That cannot be the limiter on my spiritual potential. You have sent me to administrate grace Oh, God, you have sent this church to administrate grace. And we are here to say, you meant it for evil. To every accuser, to every attacker, to everyone who would harm, to every thief, to every murderer, to every sinner, to every transgressor, they meant it for evil. But God, when you got your healing hands on us, you turned it to good. In Jesus' name, Listening to First Church Charlotte.